bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I wouldn't want it any other way Hello and welcome to episode 110 of the Corinne Nidja podcast. I'm your host Corinne Nidja. This podcast is where I share people's incredible stories of recovery after adopting a low-fat, whole-food, plant-based diet. People on this show have recovered from all sorts of chronic diseases. You need to just scroll back and find one that suits you because we've had polycystic ovarian syndrome, fibromyalgia, multiple sclerosis, we've had Hashimoto's, we've had heart disease, diabetes, arthritis, Alzheimer's, we've had endometriosis, ulcerative colitis, Crohn's disease, there's so many, the asthma, psoriasis, you name it, it's here. And not only are those stories here, real people's stories here, 110 of them now, but doctors, experts in nutrition, researchers who are experts in nutrition, doctors, nutritionists, dietitians, naturopaths, psychologists, neuropsychologists, neuroscientists are all here as well in this space with their interviews talking about the benefits of a whole food plant-based diet for healing almost everything. The reason why I have those experts talking is to give some validity to these stories so that they're not just, oh, well, those people are fringe dwellers doing some hippie, <laughs> hippie diet to try and heal their diseases. There is, this is evidence-based. It is repeatable. It is absolutely the optimal gold standard way of eating if you want to prevent, reverse and overcome chronic disease, lose weight sustainably, all those kinds of things. It is the it is just the gold star of eating and living um, for the planet, for your health, for the animals. So this week on the show, I was very excited to be contacted by Jeanette Huber, who is a naturopath from the United States. She is an ANMA board certified naturopathic doctor with a specialised interest in autism, autoimmune and degenerative illnesses. The reason why I'm so fascinated, well, firstly, I'm fascinated because of her own story, which is her own struggles overcoming multiple sclerosis, fibromyalgia and Hashimoto's thyroiditis, which is incredible. Uh, I know myself, you know, I had multiple sclerosis and fibromyalgia and my closest, one of my very closest friends, Christy, she has Hashimoto's thyroiditis and the, the impact it had on both of our, our lives and has had on both of our lives. And to have all of those in one whilst being a mother to two small children and, and, and a child who is on the autism spectrum, I can't even imagine. And so I was so excited to hear her story and hear how she navigated motherhood and caring for a high needs child as well as researching and educating herself on diet and lifestyle choices that could help her body to heal and and ultimately help her son's body to heal as well and when you hear his story it's just incredible where he has come from and where he is today with his autism 
and where she is today. You know, she is doing such wonderful things. We talk about Reiki in this episode as well because I didn't, you know, I didn't know this when I first reached out to her, but I'm just beginning my Reiki mastership journey at the moment. So I'm two weeks in and I love Reiki. And so she's talking, if you don't know about Reiki, well, I'll leave some information in the show notes, but yes, she is. Jeanette is also a Reiki master and so she has a lot of knowledge about that and is teaching that at the moment in her business as well. So it was just wonderful to speak to her about Reiki and her journey and experience with Reiki and my own. That's in the middle. So if you're thinking that you can just switch off when we start talking about that, there's more about whole food plant-based eating after that conversation about Reiki. So you're just going to have to endure it so that you can hear all the other goodness that she has after it as well. Please suspend your sceptical nature um, about Reiki because it is just such a beautiful, beautiful practice that I really, really, really love that's just about loving energy, um, which is never going to be a bad thing. Now, before we head into the episode, I just want to say where you can find Jeanette. You can find Jeanette at ascalonnaturopathic.com. That is www.ascalonnaturopathic.com. So check her out there. You can find out her services, her Reiki school, where her courses are, blog, shop, all of those things. Her rates, you can do, she does Zoom calls from wherever you are in the world, Skype calls, however you would like to have a call with her. You can have a call. There's so many ways to contact her is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, she's wonderful. And yeah, I really, really, really loved hearing her story. You can also find her on social media, on Facebook, Instagram, all those places. Click on the show notes for all those details because I didn't have them in front of me when I recorded the introduction. But please head to the show notes, which is should be right where your finger is on this episode and have a read to find out more of where you can follow her online, hear more about her, work with her, all of those things that all be in the show notes. And yeah, I hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you all so much for listening and I'll see you at the end of the show. Hello, Jeanette, and welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Wow. You really managed to get all the chronic diseases. (laughs) (laughs) And... Yeah. I, as I was saying to you before we started recording, I was saying that, you know, my I had fibromyalgia and multiple sclerosis and one of my oldest, dearest friends has Hashimoto's mm-hmm. disease. And and when I heard of you and discovered you, I didn't discover you, but when you reached out to me, I uh, was just like, wow, this is someone who's like my myself and my girlfriend if we mushed together. Uh, so I was very excited to have you on the show because, yeah, because it is so close to home for me and for someone who I love very much. Yes. So can you explain to me the start of this? Like, how did this journey begin for you? Well, there there are two parallel stories that sort of run alongside of each other. If you've, you've heard my story a little bit, there's mine and there's my son's healing journey as well, uh, with autism. So I... I learned a great deal about healing the body through what we were able to implement for him um, because he got sick before I did. And so, well, I should back up. I should say that I had Hashimoto's. I was diagnosed when he was just a baby. So 
I, I had that first, but I didn't realize there was anything that can be done. Um, if you're familiar with autoimmune disease and how it's portrayed in conventional medicine, uh, we're us- usually told that we're going to be on some sort of prescription pharmaceutical for the remainder of our lives. There's nothing you can do. You can't reverse it or recover from it, that sort of thing, which is the same thing we're told in autism. But So with the Hashimoto's, I just you know listened to my endocrinologist and stayed on the Synthroid for a number of years. But um, my son, when he was diagnosed with autism, he was about three years old. And let's see, that was in uh, 2010. And we did a lot there for him with diet and nutritional supplements, um, later with detoxification. And along in that process, while I was working with him, I became very depleted in my health and my energy and my spirit. I was just broken down, very sick. And so then the autoimmune diseases just sorted to accumulate and pile up on each other. Um, and so then that was 2013. So I had the, the fibromyalgia, um, that pain and, um, the, the multiple sclerosis, which was just sort of a final blow that, um, yeah, I just really, I remember at one point being so lost because I was like, what did I do wrong? I was just, I felt like I was being punished. Um, but you know, I, I kind of pulled up my big girl panties basically and was just like, I'm only going to sit and wallow, wallow in this for so long. And that was really because, um, what was happening was that, you know, I'd been seeing all these doctors for so long. And by the time with the MS, I had several neurologists I was seeing and they weren't able to provide me with anything uh, aside from just like, you know, pick a pharmaceutical drug, not even specific. They were just like, pick one. Um, which is crazy to me even now I think about it, but, um, you know, this one doctor said, you've got to get on something or you're going to be in a wheelchair. And I believed her, but, um, I I knew I had to do something. I just didn't feel like that was the route. So I started doing a lot of like the vitamin, um, mineral supplementation that I've been doing for my son, looking at genetics, um, changing my diet, removing inflammatory foods. I stopped eating gluten. I, actually did like a paleo style of eating for a while that sort of helped resolve some things, but I attribute that mostly to the fact that I just removed a lot of processed foods out of my diet. So I plateaued on that. Um, But it was a process. I want to say, you know, between 2015, 2016, I was really just gaining all this momentum, um, exploring detoxification and all of its... um, facets like, you know, through the foods I was eating, I was eating foods that were creating that detoxifying effect. I was working with herbals, um, herbal formulas and homeopathy and, and energy work. And so it was quite a journey. It's still a journey, but now I'm symptom free. So that's it in a nutshell. <laughs> so how <One> way. Long. <laughs> Yeah, that's, that is a very nutshell. Yeah, I'm, I'm happy to elaborate on any of it. Yeah. So <laughs> let's go back a bit because obviously it's amazing that you're symptom-free. Uh, but what what were the symptoms that you were experiencing for those who are listening who who maybe have maybe, maybe diagnosed with those conditions and thinking, well, I feel too tired or I feel like this and maybe she didn't have this that I have or... Or whatever. So, so when you were first diagnosed with Hashimoto's, what was that like for you? What were your symptoms when you were going through that? I had a three-month-old baby 
So it was easy to sort of brush aside a lot of it that you associate with the newborn. Um, you know, I was very tired and just drained, but um, it was something I just couldn't bounce back from. And then I had these strange symptoms where um, both wrists and hands were becoming, like I had joint pain in both hands and wrists, and I had joint pain in both of my ankles. So I thought, well, there was no injury that I remember. So why am I having this you know, pain that's matched symmetry on both sides of the body? Um, my tongue was very dry. My eyes became very, very dry. I thought, well, maybe it's because I'm breastfeeding too much. I just, I was clueless. Um, so then welcome to the world of autoimmune disease. I, I go and see just my regular primary care physician. Uh, he, he pulled some, he did some lab work on me. My TSH was, I want to say 194. I think it was really, really high. Uh, he freaked out. He referred me to an endocrinologist who was amazing. And uh, it was like, I've only ever seen this level in one other person before. He said, how did you even get into my office? How did you even walk in here? And I'm like, I'm, I don't know. I just need help. So he put me on Synthroid. And you know, over the years, I was able to you know, lower the dose. Um, and that took away the pain and some of that stuff in my mouth and my eyes. That went away. But I never really had much energy Um that was fairly consistent, just really lots of fatigue, low energy, mental fog. Um, I was living in a moldy house, I should add, at the time, which I wasn't aware of. Um, I had no idea that mold could be a problem, but um, my hair was still falling out. My, my body temperature was, you know, pretty not, it was definitely below what it should have been. It was around 97 degrees, um, even on the Synthroid. But I have been off of the Synthroid for three years now, and um, that was quite interesting. It, I was determined to do it. I, I knew it was possible, but I had nobody who could guide me because it's, it's kind of a scary thing um, to go up against, you know, my doctor saying, if you stop this drug, you'll have a heart attack. And I'm thinking, well, I want to be a naturopath. I don't want to be dependent on the drug. So, and I still had my thyroid, so I thought if I still have my thyroid, I know that I can regenerate it and restore its function. But um, with the, the th fibromyalgia, that was the, the trigger points also, you know, that's symmetrical, those pain points running all the way down the body and in the arms and the legs. I was also, um, you know, I could, I had a farm, which is kind of amazing. That I, I think about it now. I had like a 60 acre farm with all these horses that I took care of. And I don't know how I did it because just the, the task of rolling up the water hose um, would leave me sore for three days in a row. Like I would actually have to lay down the following day. I'd be in so much pain. My body was really tight. I remember going to a massage therapist and she was like, oh, you have fibromyalgia. I'm trained in that. And she's like, let me find the trigger points. And it was the most painful thing I've ever experienced. <laughs> well, I don't know about it. It was bad, but um, yeah, that kept me away from massage for a really long time because she just was like digging into those points and I couldn't walk for days after that. But, um, and the multiple sclerosis. So there's, there's a lot of like overlap, um, just in terms of energy level, uh, cognition. Um, you know, I was just really tanked in a lot of areas, uh, adrenal weakness. My blood pressure was low. It was like, well, it was like 90, um, it was usually around 90 over 60, I think. I would get really dizzy if I sat up too quickly. Uh, I was very prone to headaches, 
irritable. I had uh, heat sensitivity, so I couldn't be outdoors for very long if it was very warm outside. And I live in a, you know, in the summer times, I live in a very warm climate. So that didn't work out very well, but digestive issues. Um, and uh, with the MS, that was a lot of neuropathy. When that developed, it was uh, numbness and tingling in the hands and the feet. My spatial awareness, where I felt myself in space is not where I actually was. And by that, I mean, I would go to walk through a doorway and I'd see the center of the doorway and I'm walking through it and um, my body would just slam into the door frame because my body was actually in a different place from where I saw myself, uh, which is terrifying. Um, I was still driving at the time. My children were very young. I was taking them to preschool. Um, I couldn't lift my, my younger son anymore, but I couldn't really keep my feet on the pedals. I've talked about this. I've been wanting to talk about this more and more because I think it's important. I was trying to hide a lot of that because I didn't want to appear vulnerable, um, you know, as the mother and the family taking care of my kids and special needs children. And I just kind of wanted to appear rock tough. And so there's a lot that was going on that um, I didn't even tell my doctors but, uh, and more, I'm trying to think what else. Oh, um, bladder incontinence. Um, I couldn't really grasp uh, pens and pencils at one point, turn doorknobs, hold onto the steering wheel of my car, speak well. I couldn't say multiple sclerosis. My tongue was very much just a blob in my mouth. Um, so that's, yeah, that's a lot there. And, um, yeah, it just was kind of staggered out throughout those years became increasingly worse, obviously. Wow. And so when did you get the diagnosis of multiple sclerosis? That was in 2012. I may have said 2013 previously, but what happened was uh, I went to the first neurologist and they spent a great deal of time testing me because they wanted to rule out Lyme disease. And I understand why now, because I, I later found that I did have that also, but it was something they could not determine for a good year. Um, so she was doing all kinds, running all kinds of labs and that sort of thing. But if you're familiar with the, the spirochetes and Lyme and the various co-infections, some of them are very crafty at hiding within the body. So it wasn't until I was doing active detoxification that it even came up to the surface where we could find it. I don't know much about Lyme disease. I have to admit my ignorance. What happens with Lyme disease? Is it common in Australia? or I've, I don't hear about it very often. Yeah. And we, we used to associate it with just one type of um, spirochete, uh, one here in the United States. But now there's others that have been added to it. And there's some in Europe that are creating similar symptoms. Is, a spire, is it like a tick? Uh, it can be. So you can get it from a tick bite, but you can actually get it from many other ways too. The mosquito, um, kissing somebody, intercourse, you can pass it on to your child during childbirth. Um, you know, your dog can pass it to you just licking. You know, there's all kinds of ways. It's actually quite scary. But my feeling is more people have been exposed to it than they realize. It's just it manifests within some of us for whatever reason. It's, it's part of our story and our journey to experience it. I feel like it's behind a lot of other illnesses um, the MS, for instance, I mean, I can't say that that's the case in every situation with MS, but um, I feel like a lot of the symptoms are very similar. It mimics those and Parkinson's too. And I see it in a lot of children with autism. So it's, it's fairly common. 
And it's not one of those things, you know, I look at it like autoimmune disease. Some people become just devastated by it, by the diagnosis, but it's really something you can transcend. I'm an example of that. It um, no longer has a hold on me or is affecting my health. And I didn't have to do anything, you know, seriously toxic to myself and take all these drugs in order to um, address it. So and so just there's just so much in this in in your, in your story. So forgive me if I'm not going to do it justice, but I wanted to know what was your food and lifestyle like during that time or prior to diagnosis? Yeah, huge component. Um, and I'm just going to put it all out there. I was raised, you know, obviously here in the United States in the 80s, lots of foods for us during that time that uh, flashy commercials, songs, all that kind of thing. You get little toys, McDonald's Happy Meals, um, colorful cereals in the box, all that stuff, all the processed foods. Like I had it, my mom would still make a great dinner every night, but it was the standard American diet. It was like meat, potatoes, bread, big glass of milk. Um, cook veggies. Like she was amazing. She'd make um, our lunch for us to take to school every day. So we weren't eating the school lunch, but there was not a lot of awareness then. And by the time I got to college, I've always been very slender. So I got to college and I just thought, oh, well, I can eat whatever I want. I'm skinny. It's not going to affect me because I associated poor health with being overweight. Um, you know, that naive 19 year old. So I'm continuing to eat a lot of fast foods and just quick, easy things like so much processed food. I can't even remember. I, well, I would occasionally eat salads, but, um, it was pretty bad. And then when I later had my children and was pregnant, I would go and just eat, you know, stuff, fast food. It was easy. So clearly it was an accumulation of just, um, some really toxic, yucky stuff that now I wouldn't even consider food. Um, I, like I mentioned, I've, I've done the paleo diet that was for a short period of time. Uh, and the only thing I think that it was helpful for, like I said, was because I did remove a lot of those processed foods and I was eating uh, a lot more vegetables. Granted, they were cooked, but I was eating meat, um, a lot. It was all pasture raised meat from a farm around the corner, but knowing what I know now about the chemistry of these foods and what they were doing to me, it's, understandable why I got to a certain point and then I just really still didn't feel great. Um, and I hadn't done any of that work on the thyroid or the fibromyalgia or, um, the MS really, except that a lot of the neuropathy and my arms and my legs had gone away. So that was probably the most notice noticeable thing by eating that way. Um, and I've tried various diets with my children just because of the autism. So there's some other ones in there, but none of them that were huge game changers, except for um, I met a naturopath that we have here in the United States, Dr. Robert Morse. I studied with him. He taught me about uh, working with foods, which, you know, you have to eat foods anyways. Why not eat the kinds that are going to cleanse the body and shift that chemistry and move this stuff out? Um, so I went plant-based. I went vegetarian originally. Uh, then I did a, a period of time where I was raw vegan. I'm still vegan now. I do eat cooked vegan in the evenings usually, but I try to stay raw during the day. And it's been like that for several years. And how did that go with your family? <laughs> oh, it scared Making them. that switch, because it's a big switch for most yeah, families. Yeah, they, they look at me and they go, 
you just eat fruit. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, you have to have a lot of resolve. There's a lot of projection from family. And as a practitioner, I see it a lot with people I work with. You know, they have a spouse or, you know, a sibling or someone who cares for them in their life who thinks, oh, you're going to make this change. And it, it forces them to look at what they're eating and it triggers them. And then they, you know, project it onto you and say, you shouldn't do that. You're not getting enough protein. You're not getting this, this, and this. And yet, um, you know, the healing that I've clearly experienced um, is remarkable. And now people look at it and they, they think, oh, well, maybe there is something to it. And they, I still eat, you know, a very fruit-dominant diet. So it, it still bothers people to some extent who aren't around me all the time, like my very close, close family. I only see them a few times a year, but um, it still sort of triggers them a little bit. My kids are very used to it because they eat vegan when they're here with me. Um, you know, fruits and veggies, raw veggies out on a platter. That's very normal to see that. We don't always have like set meals, three meals a day. We have food laid out. You know, when you want to eat it, you can eat it, that kind of thing. So we're definitely not conforming to the, the way. <laughs> That's not my thing anymore. I, I, I do not conform. I, I just go with what I resonate with, what makes me happy, um, what creates vitality within my life. And uh, the living foods are definitely a factor in that. Yes. And I wanted to hear how, if you notice any benefit, um, not only in your own health, obviously, but um, in the health of your children when they made the switch to a plant-based diet. Well, my my youngest son, so he's he was never on the autism spectrum, but he's had um, some other issues with uh, pandas. I don't know if you're familiar with that, but it's like a, a neurological condition um, that just is... is like a byproduct of inflammation and underlying infections and that kind of thing. And then he's also had SIBO. So he's like my gut kid. And when I was mentioning how we tried other diets in the past, a lot of that was to try and just reset his gut because he was administered antibiotics in the hospital as a newborn. And it was, it was preventative. It wasn't even, you know, for an actual infection or anything like that. But because of that, he had diarrhea for the first two years of his life. And then he went just, he segued into constipation. And, um, you know, after a number of years of that and not really being able to address it with supplements, and then I had my own healing taking place and I was learning, okay, these foods he's eating, what are they doing in his gut? They are sitting there, they're not being digested as efficiently as they could be, um, his nutrition, he's not assimilating his nutrients like he needs to. I mean, he just had like this really distended belly, just full of stool and kind of, um, low muscle tone and just a gray pallor in his face, big allergy shiners. So he definitely, um, resonates well with eating a lot of the fruits and the plants like that. That's what gets him going to the bathroom every day on a regular basis. I am divorced and his father and his family do not understand anything of this, the foods um, that I've spoken about. It, it doesn't make any sense. And, and I, I'm at the place now where I understand there's a lot of people where this just does not make sense to them um, because they haven't been asked to step up to that frequency yet. But so they're still giving him things like hamburgers and pizzas and stuff that doesn't make him feel good. And he knows that. Um, but so he can see the correlation with the plants, he feels good. The stuff moves through. He's sleeping better. His attitude's better, that sort of thing. So um, it's been good for them. And they just gravitate to fruits. I mean, it, 
fruits good, look good. They taste good. Um, yeah, I mean, children, you you think about like a, a child that's just learning how to place finger foods, like play with foods and put them in their mouth um, that hasn't been conditioned to anything yet. And you put, you know, a little bit of fruit out, maybe some banana or mango or something on one side of the tray. And then you put like a lumpy um, piece of chicken or just shredded chicken on the other side. They're going to gravitate for that color. And they, they want to play with that texture and explore with it. Like they're going to naturally go towards the fruit. But when we, you know, just plug them up with um, all the different processed things, you know, that they have for toddlers and the animal, animal-based foods and stuff, they get used to it and they associate that with food. But my kids, they love fruit. They're good about it. Their palates are, are very um, wide and expansive now compared to they, where they were when they were sick. That's incredible. And, and so how about with your son with autism? Did, did the dietary change help at all? Oh, yes. Probably the biggest thing for him in the beginning was, so he was three when he received the diagnosis and he had regressive autism. So there had been some language um, there'd been good eye contact, but then it, it started to recede. And by the time he was diagnosed, he didn't even, um, really acknowledge that he had a baby brother. Like he'd never looked at him or talked to him or anything like that. We got the diagnosis and I was fortunate in that my cousin has two boys herself who are on the spectrum who are a little bit older. They're teenagers now. And she said, you know, you need to remove gluten from the diet. And I was like, what is that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this was in uh, 2010. So I was a newbie at this and it hadn't like become such a trend. But uh, she said, yeah, you need to take the weed out of his diet. You need to remove all the dairy. And she said, do that first. And then we'll talk about what else you need to do. And then she helped me understand how to get him to poop and things like that. And that was through the form of like fiber supplementation and, and vitamins and minerals and that sort of thing. But yeah, the, the thing with the gluten and the dairy was that within two weeks, only two weeks, he had speech again. He Just by taking that out, he was able to have a regular bowel movement, which uh, previous to that, he'd only been pooping like once a week at the most. It was pretty bad. He was, he was holding his stool. So he was scared to have a bowel movement and he was just retaining all the stool. And then, you know, now I, I think about that and I just can't even imagine the toxins that were just recirculating back into his bloodstream and affecting the brain and everything um, because he just wasn't doing that simple thing of eliminating waste every day. But um, by doing that and taking out the gluten and the dairy, he regained speech. It was in the form of scripting and echolalia. So initially he was just repeating things somebody would say something to him, he would repeat it back to them, or he'd repeat a phrase from a television show or a book that he loved. But that was how he communicated. All those things had meaning to him. So it, he was, it wasn't just him parroting it. He really had meaning behind all of it. And he eventually, through therapy, um, you know, gained uh, expressive speech. And he's, now he's recovered, like you can't even tell. But that was the most noticeable because it was so quick just within those couple of weeks. Yeah, wow. And so when you say recovered, so he, what does that mean to you? Well, it's it, it doesn't mean that he's neurotypical because 
one thing I've learned about these amazing children on the spectrum is that they're still, even when they're healed and they're um, social and expressive and they're integrated into, you know, mainstream life with um, other peers and school and all of that, uh, they still are very different and that they're very sensitive beings um, energetically. They're very empathetic or empathic. So they, they're like um, just tuned in to other people. And so that has never changed. And I think it's a gift for him. But in terms of recovery, um, you know, he took what was a, a diagnosis of classic autism, where we were told by this team of psychologists and therapists that he would, um, this is what they said, and I've heard other parents say the same thing. They said that he would never attend a mainstream school, um, never have friends, never go to college, and never fall in love. Aww. They told us that uh, the parents of a three-year-old child. That's so um, heartbreaking. They said there's nothing you can do except, you know, um, get him started up with some services through the school system and speech therapy. That's it. Um, they sort of recommended this ABA program, which we ended up doing for a short period of time. But even then they were like, that's, we don't recommend that fully. So it was like, they really kind of don't give you a lot of hope. And like I said, I've had many parents say the same thing. Oh, we were told that too. And, but now, um, he's making excellent grades. He's been in a mainstream classroom for years uh, he's got friends. He plays team sports. He's on the junior varsity soccer team at his school. He plays multiple mu musical instruments. So he's taught himself electric, electric guitar, bass guitar, uh, piano, and now he's learning saxophone in the school band. Um, he just went away on his own for a school trip. They went to a retreat last week. So he was away from home. Um, you know, it's it's such a difference. I never would have thought that this is, you know, and he's such a kind, loving, um, sensitive young man. Like he's just really tuned into others and wants others to feel good. Um, you know, he doesn't like to worry about pain or experience pain through others. And so uh, very observant very kind so oh. yeah that's recovery as far as I that know. is pretty <laughs> incredible i'm so happy for you that is a beautiful beautiful story and so for many people who would be listening would be saying wow you hear those stories but they seem like they're almost mythical like spotting a unicorn mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah so i get it for people who do have a child on the spectrum like what would I don't, I don't know how to explain this because I know every kid is different and yes yeah what would be some pieces of wisdom that you might have there's a common denominator in all of them that I didn't see until probably last year because it's true you know one child with autism you know one child with autism as they say because it's a spectrum and it's each one is very different um you know, it's not just that lose speech, lose eye contact, all of that. You know, some kids on the spectrum, they, they have speech, they have good eye contact, but, you know, other things are at play. Um, the, the common thing that I can say is just the mirroring. Um, the, the children really, there's usually someone in their home they're very close to. It's often mom, sometimes it's dad, who needs to heal too. You know, like my situation with all those different diseases, that's, you know, yeah, it's a lot of stuff. But it's not unusual for me to see other mothers with Lyme or with chronic fatigue um, or, you know, some kind of diagnosis 
that they're sort of struggling along with because they're also coping with caring for a special needs child. And when I say to them, you know, what I've learned through my story and helping these other families is that the more you can do to care for yourself and love yourself and remember to heal yourself um, because you are your own healer, it actually creates space for your child to heal too. And it doesn't make sense till you actually go through it and you realize, wow, um, I've done this work for myself and now look at him. He's actually getting a little bit better too. And it's it's really what, you know, I'm a very spiritual person now because of this experience I've had. It's There was no way for me to um, get to where I am now to just not acknowledge this um, other realm that's at play. And, you know, I believe that the children are here to activate us as healers, certainly for ourselves, but sometimes for others and for them. And uh, that's how they do it. So... <laughs> If that makes sense. It really, really does to me because I've had a very similar experience through my own children and I often think about if they hadn't come into the world. Yeah. Who or what? With the foods and everything. Yeah, and where I would environmental be. Environmental toxicants and all of that. Mm. They show us that. it's We need to change things. Yeah. And like they just, they just for me, my children... They, well, they gave me such a sense of empathy because I was, you know, so in love with them. And then I started to reach, expand that empathy out to other humans, other animals, other species, and then, and, and then to the planet. And, and it's just, it is, well, it is, it's difficult. I mean, only people do do it. But for me, it was definitely became not only just a physical and emotional healing journey it also became a spiritual journey for me too Mm -hmm. and it's interesting because you are a reiki practitioner and i'm a reiki practitioner so (laughs) i love seeing we have so many similarities and i think that that, for all the people listening who are thinking that we're just peddling woo (laughs) peddling woo yeah (laughs) peddling woo i'm sorry i'm sorry but it just feels nice it feels beautiful i really love my connection with reiki Well, Reiki, you bring up a good point um, because I love to tell this part of it. Reiki was another thing that I started exploring. I first found out about it in 2015 through a yoga friend, and she ended up being my first Reiki teacher. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know what chakras were or anything. (laughs) I just knew. I was like, I have this feeling that my son needs his chakras balanced. I I can kind of see myself working on him while he's asleep at night and helping him sleep because he wasn't a good sleeper at the time. And she's like... Oh, yeah, this will be great for him. I'll show you everything to do. So um, I went into it, took the class, still didn't really know what I was doing after that. But um, <laughs> I was like, what is what is Reiki again? But uh, I had the 21 day period where I was just working on myself doing the Reiki self treatments. Um, and eventually, you know, I, I developed a very close relationship with the energy, which I still clearly have to this day. Um, I look at it as a living thing with its own intelligence after I did my master level, I came home and I attuned my both of my children. And that, you know, after like a month or two of integration, you know, looking back, that was a huge shift in my older son, George. And I think it just cleared a lot of debris out of his energy field, because that's probably the biggest change I saw in him out of anything. I mean, the diet obviously did a lot when you ask specifically about foods and diet, but of anything, it was the Reiki. So... Yeah, and I think coming from a mother is important. Yeah, I, I I always say to skeptics of Reiki, because there are so many, I always say if the worst case scenario is that someone is 
channeling love into you while you're laying peacefully <laughs> for an hour. Surely that's better than the hour you would have spent with your monkey mind just going bananas, bouncing yeah. around in there, torturing you about all the things you've said and done wrong that day. Like, surely. Yeah. So surely if it does nothing, it gives you an hour where someone is kind of guiding you through a meditation. That's perfect. That's a really good way to put it for those skeptics. Yeah. Um, I experience fewer and fewer of them now. You know, the 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 collective consciousness is evolving and people are more drawn to it now. And there are a lot of them are like I was, but they're like, I don't know what it is. I just would like to learn it. And I say, yeah, you can learn this first level in a day. Let's do it. So yeah, it's been just so many blessings to my life. Um, also, you know, with my children working on it, they'll work on me. Sometimes they've helped teach other children about the energy uh, we have this whole thing where we've been working with autism families to teach the parents and that kind of thing and different techniques they can do to relax your child and get them out of fight or flight. And it's just been such a beautiful process. And it feels like it's something that'll just remain with me throughout my time here. So very grateful for it. Yes, same. That's my, probably the thing I'm most grateful for in my life. Well, Obviously, my children, but and my husband. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I think to help me be better with them, that's the best gift that Reiki's done for me. Is helped me to. Yeah, that uh, emotional more, mastery. Yeah, with them, mm -hmm. I'm not. I'm not mastered in that area for sure. Like I still, even <laughs> this morning before I got on this call, it was still. You know, we still had some, <laughs> some. Oh, I know how it is. I was the same way. I was like, guys, you've got to be quiet. I have to go do this. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hiding in my bedroom. Yeah, but I mean, I, do, I just love it so much and I love it for what it does for my family. And I love, you know, I love hearing about people doing it now in hospitals for people that are in palliative yes. care and in aged mm -hmm. care facilities. I just think what a beautiful gift to people who are at that stage in their lives. You know, to have some love when, you know, your children aren't visiting you or your family members aren't yeah. visiting you and you're frightened and alone and you're sick and unwell. Like to have someone come and just spend that hour with you, just holding you and loving you. I think that's just what, what's an what's a nicer thing that you could do for someone in that time? Oh, I can't think is. of anything. It's so beautiful. Is, is that part of your practice? Are you working with clients? Um, I'm working with some clients now. I've just literally gone back into it. I had a big, mm -hmm. big space off because I was just focused on this podcast and on looking after my children and coaching people with nutrition that I just wasn't doing the Reiki. And then I, mm -hmm. this year I've gone in to do my mastership level. I started it two weeks ago. And so this last two weeks I've been doing healing again and just being oh. loving, it, loving it so much. And it's just wonderful i just feel like i've just a just a blessing in our lives again that i'm doing it for 15 whole months of mastership it's going to be great oh wow yeah. yeah that's a long time yeah yeah it's a beautiful process i i've always felt that the first two levels are really about ourselves um mm. healing ourselves and you can certainly become a practitioner with the first level but so much happens um after that first attunement that uh you know, stretches out, spans out over several months, a year after that. And it's it's such a beautiful process. But I never thought that I would ever be a teacher. I actually, for a long time, never thought I'd be a practitioner of the energy work. But now that's probably my favorite thing to do is to teach it and to work on people when they come in and 
teach them how they can work with their children and their animals and apply the energy to various aspects of their life. It's just, yeah, <laughs> it's all just infused as talk too. Yeah, it? It Full has. of Reiki love. <laughs> Full of Reiki love. I will put the links to your Reiki practice and teaching in the show notes for anyone in your area who might be listening and who might want to get some, learn some Reiki from you or receive some Reiki from you. That would be beautiful. I'm I, sure. I love it. I actually, I have a, a class planned for Glastonbury in January. That's a level one and a level two. And then I do um, one in Sedona every year. So that's in the spring. I do one, two and master level there. And also Mount Shasta, if you're familiar with that, that's out in California. So very powerful energy centers, all vortex energy where I do the the group classes. And then at home in Virginia, I do a lot of private classes. I have people come to my home or my office and we do it there. So, oh, yeah. Well, everyone, go onto the <laughs> website, it's in the show notes, book into a class. <laughs> yeah, it's transformational. You'll hear my students say that your life's never the same. <laughs> and I get all kinds of interesting sort of up levels and downloads and all that stuff coming through with that energy. So I get excited for it just months in advance. I can't wait for those classes. Oh, I'm so excited to, I, I, I hadn't been excited to teach, but you're making me excited to teach. Oh yeah. Well, when you just speak energy, like, because we feel, when we feel it so easily, then, you know, and my children have taught me a lot, like my older son, especially he channels symbols. He does a lot of work with it. Some advanced things that I never taught him because he just naturally, you know, pulled in that stuff within the last year. And so he's showing me things and I'm learning new things and kind of sliding them in, integrating them into the classes. So I feel like we're in a, a state of that evolution that ties into the consciousness, but just Reiki itself, like there's so many ways that are being opened up to us and how we can work with this energy. So yeah, teaching is a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I can't, I'm looking forward to it, but I will put some information about what Reiki is in the show notes for anyone who's listening and going, this episode about plant-based foods gone in a direction <laughs> that I wasn't prepared for. Yeah. Well, I got to thank all my yeah higher foods of higher consciousness for that because they yes. certainly had a, a role to play in it also. Mm. I, I say hooking to my husband about this just last night. I was saying, you know, when you go whole food plant-based, obviously for many people, their families and friends are just like, oh, my gosh, what happened to you? Where did you go? <laughs> I signed up for this. You can't this. live off of that. <laughs> I, I signed up for this type of friend who eats this type of food. Uh, oh, yeah, and, I <laughs> and I didn't sign up for a, a plant-based empath who's constantly telling me about the sh shrimp who are being tortured. Oh, and <laughs> yeah. I know. People ask me, do you still eat fish? And I'm like, what do you think a fish is? Of course I don't eat a fish. But um, yeah, I have friends like that too. I mean, actually my closest friends, none, none of them eat the same way I do. Yeah, That's so, okay. so same. Yeah. And I love all my friends and, I, and sometimes I wish that I wasn't this, I didn't have this part of me because I want to be able to not have this part that puts a divide between our friendship, mm -hmm. you know. But I said yeah. to Ranjit, you know, like... Last night, you know, if this is a bit out there, but I was thinking about it and journaling about it, thinking, you know, if I, if veganism was just an identity and it's not my spirit, it's not my consciousness, it's just an, it's just a label and identity. And people say, you know, labels are all rubbish and mm -hmm. just be, be 
consciousness and then you can, you know, move the world like that. And I was thinking about it and I was saying, like, veganism it was my gateway to spirit, the spiritual world, you know, in a way, because yeah. it opened my, my heart cracked open for others. And my belief in oneness is, you know, that came mm-hmm. when I found veganism, I was like, oh my God, it was like, it was like, it was like the, the matrix, honestly, it was like taking that pill oh, and just yeah. being like, <gasps> my breath just catches in your chest and you're just like, oh my gosh, I'm part of all of this. And, and you start feeling the animals so much more after that too. Like you can feel their experience much more vividly. Absolutely. Um, and I don't, don't want to not have that, that in my block. life. <laughs> it's true. I don't want to have not have veganism in my life because it helps me connect to myself and nature so much more deeply. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I'm the same way. Mm. Even and though I it does respect cause other people's some... choices. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, it's yeah, it's it's like I was saying with the fast food, like meat is not food to me. I clearly live quite well without it. Um, still alive, thriving, feeling the best I've ever felt in my life. And, you know, it's and not just that, but just my attitude about life. I'm experiencing joy for the first time, which I didn't, you know, know what that felt like until this past year. But yeah, I attribute that to the foods too. I'm no longer consuming things that contain a lot of that anxiety and fear and that lower state of consciousness that these animals are experiencing. It's definitely part of it. Absolutely. And I think like for me, this way of eating, like I know that it's, it's can be really, really annoying to people who are non-vegan. Oh, when it is. Talking, I know. When you're talking about it, but for me, it's just, you know, it is that heaviness that is gone. And even though some people will say you're not as fun now, you know, where's your fun? Now you're the oh, fun. No. Now you're the fun police crew and you used to be fun. But now you're like, oh, my God, what about that? When the Melbourne Cup ad comes on and my kids are watching it with their grandparents and I say, oh, those no. animals, those poor animals. I know. And my yeah, parents horse- are like, why aren't you fun anymore? And I say, oh, my gosh, I'm sorry, Dad. I'm not going to be – I can't be fun in this way. I can't be fun when it's – when fun comes at the price of a lack of compassion. Unfortunately, yeah. I can't be fun in that way anymore for you. Well, it's a, it's definitely a matter of like a, they're very detached from it, whereas we've become more tuned in. And it, you know, I I'm not one of those where I think, oh, everybody's going to get like me eventually. Mm. Um, that would be nice. <laughs> be so nice. I get the feeling like the universe has, you know, some interesting plans for how things are going to play out. But I can definitely tell that a lot of people are shifting towards veganism. Yeah, there's this awareness of, oh, my gosh, what have I done? And I remember when it happened to me and I was just crushed because I live in a part of Virginia. We're very close to a, a meat packing plant. It's famous throughout the country, Smithfield. And I every almost every day have to drive by these trucks and see the animals and feel them and everything. And so when that first started happening, it was I could barely stay on the road, just crying. My kids were like, "What is wrong?" And um, now I, you know, I, I try to look at it as okay. This is this is carried out for a reason. There's this, you know, like this karmic energy, this cycle that's taking place. And I'm just going to have faith that it'll eventually, um, you know, no longer be like this. But for whatever reason, it still exists. Um, and, yeah, it's it's hard. It's hard with family and friends and the judgment and everything because 
I, I don't ever want them to think that I think I'm better yeah, because I don't, you know, and, and sometimes I think that's happened. I'm Absolutely. just trying to feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, I do feel good. And that's quite a testament in itself. Um, my mom will say, oh, we're eating less and less meat. We're only having one dish a week with meat in it. She's so proud of herself now. but That is really, really wonderful to hear. And I love hearing families, you know, even my family, even though I wish that they would just immediately be whole food, plant-based <laughs> vegans. <laughs> yeah. They are, they, look, they are doing better than they were doing. It's just that, you know, I wish, because I love them and desperate for mm-hmm. them to be healthy and to feel good in their bodies. And I hate seeing them suffering in any way. You know, that's where the, I guess, the the difficulty for me and for them, because when I see them and they say, oh, I'm on this tablet or I'm having this health thing or this is bothering me. And now we, they just, I just look at them and they just say, I know, a whole food blood makes nice. Yeah, I know. It's, it's really, it's a game changer. Yeah. It was actually that, what is it? Isn't there a new movie called yes, Game Changers? You, you definitely <laughs> have to see it. It's amazing. It is incredible. Yeah, I mean, what you're speaking of, I experience that all the time. Not all the time with clients. Most, most of them who come to me um, know how like they've heard me speak or they're a little bit familiar with my story, that kind of thing, or they've heard about me from someone else. And they know that, you know, this is where I resonate, but people come to me sometimes and have no idea that food is that much of a factor in their health. And so we have this huge educational piece that has to take place where I'm getting into the chemistry of it, you know, what this is doing by eating this versus that. Um, And so at that point, they're not necessarily going to go home and stop it immediately. Some people can, but some people aren't designed that way. So it's, you know, baby steps. They change it, you know, here to there and um, go at their own pace. And I've learned to hold space for that and respect it and not be like, you have to do this right now or you're never going to get better. Because people surprise me. They heal in very interesting ways. And it's definitely most, it, it's most accessible when we take personal responsibility, obviously, through the foods we're eating and our lifestyle and mastering of the emotions, which I was going to say is just a day-to-day thing, you know? It's like, I'm certainly not a master of my emotions either, but I remember the, you know, the go-kai that we learn and, you know, just for today, I will not anger and and, and all of that. So day-to-day, I remind myself of that and, yeah, it all ties into our health. It absolutely does. Now, I just, I know we have to wrap things up in a, in a moment, but I, I just wanted to know... Firstly, how so? So you've been symptom free from Hashimoto's, fibromyalgia, and multiple sclerosis now for t- how many years? The synthroid I stopped uh, three years ago, over three years ago. The fibromyalgia resolved. Uh, yeah, 2016 was profound. I, I had some issues uh, early 2017 still in my neck. I was still working on the Lyme a little bit there, and, and that's a symptom of the Lyme disease. But um, 2016 was where a great deal was accomplished. I was raw vegan for a long time and flushed a lot of stuff out. And um, yeah, so I haven't had a repeat MRI just because I you know, don't want to pay the money for it, but um, I am considering it. I haven't had any symptoms of new lesions, but it would be interesting to see what the brain looks like, you know, compared to my previous MRIs. Yes, I've thought about that too. And I've been, I think a few guests have said, you know, should you have another one? Because I say I've been symptom and relapse free for 11 Mm -hmm. years. And 
Yeah, I just don't, I don't really want to go back into the MRI machine, to be honest. Yeah. Yeah, I've, you know, if someone, I thought, well, if somebody wanted to fund it, I guess maybe I'd do it. I, I would just meditate through it. Yeah, it's not that I'm scared of it. I just think that, like, my fr- a friend of mine was working on those machines in his honors thesis on the magnets. Mm-hmm. Okay. And he was just saying, like, they're not that good for you to not have good. that yeah. much <laughs> magnets on you. I'm like, I've already got pro- I mean, I've already had so many health problems. Why would I? He's like, you know, if you can avoid going in one of those machines, you should avoid going in one of those machines. Good point. And I can't do the dye anyway. They did have me do that one time. And of course, I reacted to it because I was just oversaturated with toxins by that point. So I couldn't use that again. But yeah, I've just so just, just for pure curiosity, I would love to know, but then I'd also be like, well, I'm feeling fine. Let's not rock the boat. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to see something that's going to scare me, but they're probably, you'd probably be, you know, probably would be like good things that you would see there. Absolutely. Yeah, we kind of have to go off of how we feel for the most part with the specific disease. But yeah, I, I mean, I'm feeling better than I did as a child, as a teenager. I have more energy and sleep well digestion. I mean, it's amazing. Just the basics are in place now um, that I didn't really have then. And uh, that's been critical too. It is so fantastic hearing your story and hearing your son's story as well. I've loved learning that you exist. <laughs> that you exist. <laughs> Thank out, you. I feel the same about you. <laughs> that you exist <laughs> out in the world and you're doing the work that you're doing. I, I love hearing that there's people out there like yourself and there's so many guests on this show who their health crisis has been like like it has for me and for you as well been such a gift and helped them as you say become a healer or or help people to make the connection between food and mindfulness and all of those things in healing the human body. It's just so wonderful to see. So where can people find you? Well, my, my website is has a lot of information on there. You can reach me through email on there. My phone number's on there if you want it. Book an appointment. I actually see people all over the world. I use something. Uh, I use Skype sometimes, but I mostly use another platform that's very similar to it. So I um, see people all over and do health consultations through the website, which is www.ascalonnaturopathic.com. That's A-S-C-A-L-O-N-N-A-T-U-R-O-P-A-T-H-I-C.com, which is not something I would have been able to do a couple years ago, spelling that out. So I like to do it. But yeah, the website is, there's a little bit more about me. There's all my Reiki classes are on there. I've got, you know, a blog that I've been post. I need to do another post on there. I'm trying to update that, but that's a good place to find me. I'm also on social media. So I'm on Instagram, Ascalon Naturopathic, um, Facebook. I have a Reiki page on Facebook as well. That's called uh, Cosmic Reiki Awakening Your Sacred Soul. So I try to post on that every day. um, Just things to sort of uplift the vibration of Facebook because otherwise I don't like Facebook. (laughs) Beautiful. Excellent. So everyone head over to all of those places and find out more from Jeanette. And Jeanette, lastly, before we hang up, what would be your three biggest tips for listeners who are living with chronic disease and are wanting to heal themselves? Well, I think it's definitely about loving yourself because that's something I didn't do for a long time. And 
learning to love yourself and nurture yourself, which we do when we start eating the right foods. Um, that's a form of love. And, um, you know, integrating and, and spending time out in nature and connecting to the earth, um, it's, you know, that can be such a beautiful process in that in terms of our healing and, and also how we uh, experience our relationships in our life is very important to, um, you know, being with someone who's going to be supportive of you and, and loving you as you love yourself and, and not putting a lot of expectations on you. I, this whole process with the healing journey, um, you know, I, I mentioned my son's stuff too, but I also had a lot going on with relationships in my life and, um, a marriage ending and that kind of thing. So it's really important to look at how, um, you value and, um, consider your worth and the relationships, uh, that you allow into your field and establishing those healthy boundaries because if you're an empath, like you and I are, it's easy for people to try and take advantage of us. Um, but yeah, when you go through the healing journey, you learn to stand up in your strength and empower yourself and just, um, you know, kind of push that field out a little bit. And so people feel you differently and they respect it. Uh, that's really important. So, yeah, I don't know if that was three things. <laughs> kind of. Okay. We had loving yourself and nurturing yourself. Yeah. Time in nature and yeah. connecting with the earth. Yeah. And Which I feel like is a form of self-love, I, but that's just... Okay. <laughs> I, I love it too. I think it is. It's my favorite thing to yeah. do pretty much. And boundary setting. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And just, you know, evaluating the relationships in our life, which can be, it can be marriage, it can be family, it can be career and even our children. You know, we've, that's been hard. There's a part of me, obviously for so long where I just overreached and did so much to take care of my little guys that I forgot about myself. And, um, you know, it's easy to get stuck in this rut where, you know, even though they were my children and I love them very much, they were kind of feeding off of that too. And so, yeah, just reestablishing these relationships so that you can remember who you are and, and why you're here and what you can do for your own soul to sort of bring it forward. It's really, really, it's very, very, very difficult. And I think as women and mothers, we tend to be even, I think, I think everyone, I don't want to generalize and, but I do think that we tend to be overreaches as a gender. Mm -hmm. I I think that men are as well in their own way, trying to Mm -hmm. do everything and be everything for their families. But I know that it's so difficult. And for me, most of the work that I do is talking to women about, you know, how can you put your own oxygen mask on first <laughs> before your plane crashes? Yeah. You can't do there. anything you need it. You for just your have to know ones. how to ask for it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. It's, it's hard. You, we get overwhelmed and we're like, well, how can I make space? We just throw ourselves under the bus, but we're not meant to live our lives that way. And if we ask for it, we'll receive, you know, that time that we need and those, um, that inspiration for what we can do for ourselves, because um, I'm proof of that. Yes, you definitely are. Oh, I, I, I was going to hang up right now, but I just wanted to say, as a non non single mother, I just wanted to maybe ask around how you make time for yourself as as a single mother. Oh, um, <laughs> I don't know. Um, you know, there's. Obviously, so my ex-husband, we share custody, and that that's really what it is, is um, 
you know, it's hard when I'm with them. I enjoy being with my boys so much. We have just these really lovely conversations. We were very open with each other. And, um, you know, I, I value that time tremendously. But then there's that time when they're with their dad. And this is on a regular basis um, where initially I'd been a stay-at-home mom. So I was sort of left reeling with this identity crisis during my divorce where I didn't know what I was going to do with all that time. That time was given to me for a reason. Um, it was so that I could get to know myself and who I'd always been, but had always tried to cover up. Just this very eccentric, wild little child that, um, you know, loves the energy work and the crystals and all of that. I had to discover her because I'd been hiding her for so long. But I was able to do so, um, you know, as a product of this divorce, which divorce in itself is really, there's a lot of trauma there. But it was, it was has been a good thing, too, because it's given me that time. You know, I've had many days where it's just silent at home. And, um, you know, a lot of moms don't get to have that. But I can sleep in if I need to. I can meditate if I need to. I can take a walk with my dogs. And um, so really with me, it's just that balance of the time with my boys I spend with them and and caring and nurturing, nurturing them. And, and they do the same for me now. And then also the, the times when they're with their dad that I, I know that you, I know how to be alone, which I think is really important. It's to know how to be alone and be okay with it. I think that that's really, really powerful for people because we just, you know, we don't know how to be alone and we don't know how to be alone in a way that means we overeat, overwatch Netflix, all of those things. So. Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> it, it is. Yeah, it the is. codependencies, are, that's what they're there for. I, I had a, a long relationship with alcohol that was very much not good for me. Um, that was one of the last things that I had to let go of because I felt like it had carried me through so much hardship um, that it was okay, you know, day to day, just have a little bit more. But, I, you know, I finally severed that and... Um, just getting that out of my life was huge, ending that level of toxicity. But, yeah, I tried to hide it for a long time. <laughs> um, that's a whole another episode. It is. It is. It's a whole other subject. <laughs> You'll have to come back on the show because I know that a lot of people listening will have had a relationship with alcohol of some kind. Oh, and yeah. It's very socially acceptable. So Yeah. 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 And it's, it's, it's a, a really important topic to talk about because, you know, it is – still very health damaging but it's acceptable just like mcdonald's is acceptable and all of those things that you know food addictions and alcohol addictions are pretty fine according to society but but they're problematic for our health overall so yeah i'd love to hear more about that but i have to let you go because you do have your babies thank you <laughs> so totally much fine. for coming i could talk to you all day you have lots in common, so it was wonderful to chat with you. And I love hearing that your family is doing so well and that you're doing so well. Thank you. I love hearing the same about you. That sounds like you have quite a profound story, too. Well, I'll have to share it another time. <laughs> yeah, no, I would love to come back on so we yeah. can do that. Awesome. That would be great. All right. I'll talk to you soon. Hope everyone enjoyed listening to your story. All right. Have a good day. Thank you so much, Jeanette, for coming on the show. I loved talking to you because we had so very much in common and I always am so, obviously, because my own history is with multiple sclerosis and fibromyalgia and I have a girlfriend with Hashimoto's at the moment. This episode was really, really important to me. So I loved hearing your story and hearing what you've gone through with your son's autism and I have 
several people that I worked with back when I was a personal carer, young people with autism. And so I know that, as you said, if you know one chi- one child or adult with autism, you know one child with or adult with autism. And I loved that. I think it's a really important thing to not lump everyone in the same basket when it is on a spectrum. And there are so many beautiful and different pieces of any person. So I loved hearing about that too, because so many people can find a diagnosis of autism. So it can be frightening and challenging for families and individuals. So it was wonderful to hear your story and the love you have for your son. Sons, obviously. And thank you everyone for listening. If you haven't yet checked out Jeanette's website, now's the time. It's ascalonnaturopathic.com, www.ascalon naturopathic.com, where you can find out about her services and rates, her story, her Reiki school, her blog, her shop, all of those things where you can work with her, how you can work with her, all of those things. You can follow her on social media. All the links are in the show notes. So head over to the show notes, which are just should be right in front of you if you're looking at this episode on a computer or on your phone or tablet. And yes, thank you so much. And I hope that you are having a wonderful, wonderful week and that you enjoyed this episode. I'll see you all next week. Bye. Bags are packed, are you ready to go? This time tomorrow we'll be on the road Riding with you in the sunnier days I won't